0: Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast by Believe, where you stay up to date in 48 on all things NBA. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B Michael Freer. This is episode number 36, the Marcus Smart episode. And much like the reigning defensive player of the year, we've got a lot of first-round matchups we want to lock into on tonight's episode. So let's get right into the opening tip.
1: Bruce? The first weekend of the playoffs featured shockers, surprises, and suspense, but only in five of the eight series. In the other three, there were none of the above. The Philadelphia 76ers toyed with the Brooklyn Nets behind likely MVP Joel Embiid and cruised to a 20-point win. They won every quarter and shot almost 49% on threes and were plus 11 in turnovers. The Celtics went nuclear on the Hawks, leading by 30 at halftime, and even though they took their foot off the gas in the second half, the outcome was never really in doubt. In Denver, the Timberwolves hung in there for two quarters, but were blown away in the third and ended up losing by 29. Kyle Anderson exemplified the team's frustration with a cheap shot elbow on Christian Braun after the whistle late in the third quarter. It's highly unlikely any of these series will go beyond five games, and it would not be out of the realm of possibility for all three to be sweeps.
0: Yeah, I definitely think there could be some brooms on the horizon somewhere out there, and we'll definitely have to keep an eye on that.
2: World B. Thank you, Ross. Since he came to the Clippers after leading the Raptors to an NBA championship in 2019, Kawhi Leonard has been known more for his unfortunate injuries and being the face of a condition that's plaguing the league, load management. After all, this is a player who has yet to reach the 60-game mark in any season with the Clippers, and he missed last season with an ACL. But Kawhi is healthy again, and on Sunday we saw exactly why, when he is right physically, he is still a top five NBA player. I said that. I said top five. With 38 points in the Clippers' game one win over the Suns, 25 coming in the second half. Leonard's greatness and leadership once again was on display. Now, we'll see if he can keep this up for the whole series and perhaps even beyond this series. But you got to ask yourself this. With a healthy Kawhi playing like this, how many players would you really take before Leonard? For me, the list doesn't go more than four or five.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great question, Will B, and uh, I think I'd limit that to four or five as well. Uh, As for my opening tip, I wanted to discuss Rui Hachimura. While I might have been painfully wrong on some recent play-in predictions, I want to give all three of us here on the 48 Minutes podcast some credit for what Rui Hachimura provided in Game 1 against the Memphis Grizzlies. Since the moment Rui was traded to L.A. for virtually nothing, we talked a lot about how big this acquisition could be for the Lakers moving forward. And boy, did it come to fruition on Sunday, having his best game in a Lakers uniform in their biggest road game thus far. 29 points on 11 of 14 shooting, including 5 of 6 from downtown, to go along with 6 rebounds. Just an incredible performance off the bench in 29 minutes for the Lake Show. While we never could have predicted he would be this much of a difference maker in this game, we did warn he could be a difference maker post-trade, and after Desmond Bain's post-game comments, betting that Rui can't do this again, I'm very much looking forward to, to what Rui can give the Lakers in game two. Who would have ever thought this Grizzlies team would become so unlikable? They just can't help but continue to run their mouth, and I really do hope Rui can shut them up. And with that, let's get right into our first quarter. And we're going to start off with a freak injury causing some concerns as the Bucks dropped game one against the Miami Heat. And, Bruce, I'll start with you.
1: Well, you know, there's the Tyler Hero injury where he's pretty much done unless they can make it to the finals. And, of course, the, uh, uh, you know, Giannis uh, going down hard on his tailbone. His MRI was clear. Uh, on uh, Monday afternoon, so that extra day off will help him when they uh, when they tee it up again uh, on Wednesday. But you know you got to begin and end when you're talking about game one with uh, the former Marquette Golden Eagle, known as Jimmy Buckets, also known as Playoff Jimmy. He came back to Milwaukee and tortured many fans, including Russ Geiger, who loved him in college. Thirty-five, five and eleven in forty-three minutes, just three turnovers, aggressive defense, and mental toughness. He is a perfect Pat Riley player in the spirit of Alonzo Mourning, Dwayne Wade, and every other gritty guy Miami has had in the past twenty years.
0: Will be. What was your takeaway from that game?
2: Uh, My takeaway was the Milwaukee Bucks offense is uh, still a concern. Now you could say it's because you know the, the absence of Giannis, and that's fair. There's no question about it. I'm not concerned. You know, the defense was, I mean, they played defense was terrible. They gave up 62 points in the paint to the heat when you have, you know, the number two defensive player in the, in the, of the year winner, you know, or guy who finished number two in the voting and Brooke Lopez was supposed to be defending there. Um, but I mean, the, the, the offense was really, it was concerning the first half. They were nowhere. To, it was nowhere to be found. I mean, it was a real struggle, uh, well, four for twenty one on threes in the first half. And that you know, the game was basically over in the first half. They got down by what I believe it was what fifteen at the half, fourteen at the half. I mean, they never recovered after that, really. They got closed, but never um it was, you know, all Miami. So if, if I'm Bucs fan like you, Ross, I'm uh I'm concerned about the offense going forward. It's been a concern all year. They started to pick it up at the end of the season. They became, I think after the all-star break, a top-ten offense. But they struggled for a good part of the year. A lot of it had to do with Middleton's absence, and that's you know totally valid. But a game like the other night, uh, I'm not concerned about them going forward in this uh, series, but I'm concerned about them going forward unless the offense shows me something.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to make any excuses for the Milwaukee Bucks. I do think, of course, the Giannis injury did come as a sudden surprise. You've seen this team in the past survive without Giannis out on the floor when he sat out games, either due to rest or some knee issues that uh, bothered him throughout this year's season. Uh, But, you know, this should be a rude wake-up call to obviously be ready for whatever may be thrown at him here in the playoffs. You'd think a team that's been there before, would have recovered a little bit better, not knowing kind of the status of Giannis for the rest of the game. Uh, but kind of just watching that game, one of the things that really puzzled me, and I'd be curious to get your guys' thoughts, is Jay Crowder. I mean, this is a team that traded quite a bit of future assets for Jay Crowder. He ends up playing 11 minutes, and I know that you talked about them struggling to shoot the ball. He didn't help in that category, going 0-4 from 3, 1-5 of from the field overall. But, you traded all this for this guy. Number one, number two, he's going to have to be a big part of this team if you're going to make it to the finals. And, and lastly, who knows the Miami Heat better than Jay Crowder? He went to the finals with the Heat in the bubble. He obviously played with Jimmy Butler in college. I they've got to they've they've got to figure out a way to stop Jimmy Butler. I think he can at least match match him physically out there on the floor. I, I was just a little bit surprised that Grayson Allen placed 31 minutes and Jay Crowder placed just 11. I'd like to see a little bit more uh, run there for Jay out there on the floor for the Bucks to see what he can get going. Obviously, 11 minutes is a, is a very small sample size, but what's your thoughts on just the fact that Jay Crowder in the round one, game one, only played 11 minutes for, for this Bucks team?
1: He was like a non-entity. I don't even remember him doing anything in that game. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and I guess when you're talking about so few minutes played, that's understandable. But when I think, when I look at that game, it's like, oh, Jay Crowder. Yeah. He's still on their team, I guess. Yeah.
0: And Wesley Matthews played 17 minutes. He played six more minutes than Jay Crowder. That, I, that was the one thing that really stood out to me, uh, like a sore thumb. is just the fact that Jay didn't play that many minutes thought as we've talked about all year long, Bobby Portis was spectacular. Uh, he really stepped up off the bench, having uh, 21 points in 26 minutes, eight rebounds. Um, unfortunately, he, too, couldn't get the shot falling from deep. Um, but, you know, he was about the only guy that really kind of adjusted and adapted to Giannis not being out there on the floor. I surely expect Drew Holiday to, uh, you know, come into the game more mentally prepared to have to be that guy for this Bucks team. Uh, but overall, I mean, this team's just got to go ahead and regroup and uh, certainly get game two because I think we can all agree, going down 0-2 and then having to head to Miami where you could possibly lose a third could put you in some real rocky, rocky waters. So um, that's about all I have for this one. I mean, do you guys have any other thoughts on on the Bucks uh, Miami game? Until
2: uh, I wouldn't, I, I, again, more? I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be too concerned. I, me personally. From the but from the Miami standpoint, do you really expect the team that was one of the worst shooting teams in the league from three point range to go 15 of 25 again? I don't, I don't see it. I've, the whole season is a nice sample size, they were just not a good three point shooting team. That and you really expect them to do it against the number one team in defending shooters in the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, Giannis, the honest injury, whatever it may be, could be an issue that could be a concern. Assuming he can come back is not serious. I don't – this has happened before. Teams have lost game one of the series before, good teams. And, it, you know, it. put it this way, since 2017, the last five postseason, not counting the bubble, in the first round, there have only been three times where the home team has gone down 0-2 in the first round. So it's not it, – I wouldn't be terribly concerned from a Buck standpoint Miami played a great game. They deserved everything, all the accolades. They deserved to be up one nothing. They were the better team. They went 14-17, of 17, the restricted area, against a really good interior defense like the Bucs. Totally give them credit for that. I just don't
1: see it happening for four more wins, three more wins. I would say, you know, I saw a couple silver linings for the Bucs, believe it or not. I mean, you mentioned that you didn't think Drew Holiday, you know, had his head in the cane. And I would say I agree that he had a subpar game for him. But here's a subpar game for Drew Holiday. 16 points, granted, only 6 of 18 from the floor, bad shooting night, 7 rebounds, 16 assists, and just one turnover. So if that's a crappy game, Drew Holiday always comes up big when the team needs him. I don't know if he's going to have 16 assists in game two, but I guarantee that Drew Holiday is going to show up for game two. And whatever they need, he is going to give them. And I do expect them to win game two. The other silver lining was Chris Middleton, 33 points. Okay. He was 12 out of 20 from the floor, but he was 10 out of 13 on two-point shots, which means he was working his mid-range magic uh, like vintage Chris Middleton. And I thought that was a great. He and Javon Carter were the only two guys on Milwaukee that had a plus number in their plus minus. Uh, and you mentioned Bobby Portis. I mean, he made nine of his 10 shots that weren't threes. He was 0 for 5 on threes, but he was 9 of 10 on two-point shots. So with Middleton and Drew and Chris, you know, granted, you know, nobody was on fire from three, but they're going to win game two. And, you know, and even if Giannis is not at his best – I don't think Kevin Love's going to have another great game like he had. He had his best game as a Heat player since he was there. He had 18 points, eight boards, no turnovers, and a real presence in the paint on defense from the standpoint of taking charges. Um, So yeah, Miami, you know, and, and Bam, you know, with Giannis out of the game, you know, had a a typical Bam game, 22, nine and seven, um, 10 of 18 from the floor, tough-minded, rugged, like Jimmy, but Game two is going to Milwaukee, and I don't see any way Miami takes two on the road yeah. to start this series.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would be shocked, too, and uh, you made some great points there, Bruce, as far as you know, some of the positives out of this game. The one thing I will say as kind of a hot take here is, to me, even watching that game and how well Miami played and outright defeated the Bucs, I think the Bucs would certainly have won this game by a comfortable 10 if they had played Chicago- or even an Atlanta team, uh, but Miami's uh, you know something to be messing with here. I mean, they're they're an uphill battle, as you've suggested on uh, previous podcasts. You don't see uh, mini series with the Miami Heat going less than six games, and I think you uh, hit the nail right on the head with that one. As we get to our, uh, did you want to? Did you want to follow up on? No, that? No, I was just
1: going to say it. And and one last point: Tyler Hero's done. Okay. Yeah. That's a 20 point score. I don't know who's going to take his, you know, going to play his, and come up with his product. And Gabe had a good game in game one. He was four out of five from downtown. But, you know, okay, fine. Do yeah. it again, Gabe.
2: Yeah. No, that's exactly uh, it. Do it again, Miami. Right. Yep.
1: And uh, we're going to do
0: another quarter here again, here with the second quarter. Let's get to the LA storylines as both the Lakers and Clippers. Come out victorious on the road. And let's start out by discussing the Lakers' big win in Memphis. World B, we'll start with you.
2: Very impressive uh, comeback uh, down, what, nine at the half, I believe. And they, or the, let's say five, four, they were down, what, four at the half, excuse me. And or, was that down? Yeah, or six. And they go and they outscore them big time in the second half. There was a really impressive effort by them. They got, yeah, you know, both teams loved the transition game. And the Lakers, thirty of their points on transition. Basically, a lot of them was that garbage stuff at the end where they were, but not all of them were. No, so they really got up and down on them. You know that was LeBron James's thing. That's what they love to do. And as I mentioned at the top of the show about Kawhi Leonard healthy, what a great player he is. You know, same can be said for Anthony Davis. Healthy AD is one of the most fun players to watch play defense and be all over the court. He covered, he's a, just a unique player in this league for what he can do and both at both ends, too. And his world got a whole lot better. Either he did it or somebody else got in his ear and say, stop shooting threes. Get yourself inside. Because he doesn't show. I think the last 13 games, including regular season and the play, I think he's only taken about seven or eight threes total, made one. So he's not shooting the three anymore, and he's becoming a real force at both ends. And he's really dominated this Grizzlies team this year. I think in two games against them, 19 boards a game. I think he averaged in the regular season, 29 points. So he he can have his way with uh, with this team, which is surprising considering who's in the middle for them.
1: You know, Ross and World B, the two LA teams are undefeated so far in the playoffs. <laughs> um, and you know, Laker Nation loves its stars. And Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura did not disappoint. (laughs) Rui Rui had 29. Austin Powers, I stole that from Mark Jackson, which I thought was great, had uh, had, uh, 23. And Slackers, Anthony Davis and LeBron James had 22 and 21 respectively, right? Ask yourself this. If I told you in late January LeBron would be the fourth leading scorer in a road playoff game against a higher seed and the Lakers would win, you'd say I was tripping. By the way, in his career, LeBron's teams are 27-2 and in playoff series when his team takes game one.
0: Wow. That is a great fact there. Um, I think in this one, having watched this outside of, of course, my opening tip in Rui Hachimura, was Austin Reeves. Of course, uh, he played a large part in that second half, uh, really created a lot of shots for himself and others, just being ultra-aggressive. Can't say enough about the guy, Bruce. Obviously, you've been big on him for the last couple of weeks here, and rightfully so. Um, Anthony Davis, I I mean, it's just so funny when we start talking about some of these guys that are fringe uh, players on a night-to-night basis like Kawhi, and now they got some days to rest in between games with no back-to-backs. Really, it's just a whole different story for this Lakers group. I mean, they keep him healthy. I think the sky's the limit. And one thing here on the the Grizzlies, I mean – as much as we talked about Milwaukee being able to survive a series without Giannis with the Miami heat, if that were to be the case, I'm not quite sure that the Memphis Grizzlies in this particular matchup with the Lakers could survive without a healthy Ja Moran. What is your guys' take on the, the Grizzlies moving forward? If Jaw's hand is going to be a problem.
2: You want this one world and I'll follow you. Yeah, sure. Uh it's you you know he's an all nba player when his head's on right and he's healthy so you're losing somebody like that on that team that's already without your starting center basically and steven adams uh it puts a lot of pressure on the other guys puts a lot of pressure on desmond Bain to suddenly uh go even beyond what he's what he's capable of doing it's jaron jackson jr who had a great game 31 points to be even more of a consider that's Every night now he has to be that way. And, by the way, you need more than five rebounds from the defensive player <laughs> of the year. I know the Lakers shot the lights out, and that's that's understandable. But you got out-rebounded by 11, and you only had five. It's, you know, not, you know, two blocks. And, you know, AD, you know, AD had seven. I mean, it, it, and covered so much ground, it was ridiculous. So, yeah, it puts a lot of pressure on everybody else to be that guy. Now, the same thing I think applies – for Memphis that applies for Milwaukee. We're talking about a great, great defensive team. They're one of the best. Them and the bucks are basically the one, two. And then you, maybe you throw in, um, throw in the Celtics, but that's where it is. And are you going to, you know, you expect them to allow 50% shooting from a Laker team that got better offensively in the second half of the year and get everybody healthy, but they still weren't great. So, you know, you could apply the same logic to the Grizzlies as you do to the Bucks, But the Bucs are uh, – the Grizzlies face a much
1: more formidable opponent than the Bucks are. Yeah. Memphis, after one game, is on the ropes. If John misses time, this could be over very quickly. And, you know, it's really a shame that injuries have hurt this team so badly You know, when Steven Adams was lost for the season in late January and Brandon Clark went down in game number 62, this team lost like a ton of physical toughness. And if they lose jaw, which seems increasingly likely, short of a miracle, they're going home. The only question is, will it be, will they be able to get one or two games before the Lakers finish them off?
0: Yeah. Speaking of going home with at least one win, we're going to talk about the LA Clippers here that defeated the Phoenix Suns on the road yesterday as well. Uh they won 115-110 and uh Bruce, I'll go ahead and start with you on this. What was your biggest takeaway from the Clippers Suns game?
1: Well, the improbable performance of Russell Westbrook and his washboard abs. Uh <laughs> he shot <laughs> that was that was something, man. That, really <laughs> that was, was that was like ESPN the magazine body issue stuff right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, he shot three for 19, but he was a defensive stopper. I mean, he had three blocks, eight assists, 11 rebounds. And, of course, Kawhi, whose minutes, whose load management, as World B sort of alluded to near the top, is paying off. I mean, he played 42 strong minutes, and he looked like the 2019 version of himself. I mean, 38-5-5 and uh, and just, you know, leading the team. I mean, you know, it was – that that's what I took away. I mean, there's a few other things – I'll have to say after you guys check in, but uh, Westbrook, that was one of the more improbable Russell Westbrook performances that I've ever seen. Will be That was quintessential Russell Westbrook there. Three
2: for 19 in a win. That's yeah. And doing the other things, as you mentioned, and I'm going to get to Russell at the end of the end of our show. There's a uh, little lead in there. Um, yeah, I was, uh, very impressed with the way the Clippers uh, came out and performed. I mentioned at the top, Kawhi uh, played like a top five player. I mean, he just a healthy Kawhi is a game changer on this team and in these playoffs. He really is. Uh, who knows, you know, how long Paul George? It sounds like he'll miss the entire series, which is you know now you got can the other guys hold up or whatever. Uh, I mean, again. You going to get 19 points every night from Eric Gordon. I mean, if you do, you're you're in, in good shape. Um, yeah. But you know, if, if I'm, it's the defense too that did a job on on uh, on the Suns going in their place, led by you know a Hall of Fame defender in Leonard and stuff. But you know, the defense you hold a team like this that couldn't be stopped for the longest time to just 110 points is really impressive. And you know, Booker was great. And Kevin Durant was great and DeAndre Ayton was, was solid. And yet they somehow can't get a win at home. It's, it's, it really speaks to the greatness of, as I mentioned, Kawhi Leonard, who, as you mentioned, Bruce, just led, he carried the team and in the fourth quarter, every big shot seemed like he got. And I know I'm going to
0: probably sound like a broken record here. Certainly a lot of Suns fans have been discussing this, but to me, this series kind of falls on Aiton's ability to, to dominate the, the, the Clippers' bigs and Avika Zubak and uh, Mason Plumlee. I mean, you look at those two guys, and they completely dominated dominated the boards. If you actually added up the totals for rebounds for each player, Aiton played 33 minutes and finished sixth in the game in rebounding with eight. I mean, that's just not acceptable, especially playing against bigs like Zubak and Plumlee that are buried down low on the offensive side, you should be getting easy defensive rebounds. And so too many times we see Aiton offensively hovering around the elbows rather than than burying himself or fighting for low post position down low, which would also space the floor out for those sons' wings and allow driving lanes for Chris Paul on the perimeter. So – I think he's got to be much more physical with the Clippers bigs. I wasn't too impressed with with DeAndre Ayton, but you could say that about a lot of Phoenix Suns games this year. And I think there's a lot riding on him playing a lot bigger, better, and stronger against Zubak. I thought Zubak had his number all night. I think Zubak had an incredible game uh, for the Clippers. Plumlee came off the bench and had 11 rebounds, was a perfect three of three from the field. Those guys are doing their jobs. I'm not seeing Ayton step up and, as we talked about the lack of depth with the Phoenix Suns right now, especially being down Biombo, I mean, this certainly is a cause of concern, not having a big that can bang with both Plumlee and Zubac right now. What do you guys think, Bruce?
1: Well, you know, Zubac and Plumlee combined for 19 points and 26 rebounds. Uh, and uh, Ayton had, you know, 16 points and eight rebounds. Um and Ayton actually had more official field goal attempts than Kevin Durant, 16 <laughs> to 15. Although KD did go 10 for 10 from the line. So, you know, he kind of had five additional field goal attempts that aren't official. But still, Kevin Durant has to have way more shots than DeAndre yes. Aiton. I mean, it can't be like, OK, he had three more shots. It's like, No. Kevin Durant's got to shoot the ball more than anyone on that team, probably including uh, Devin Booker. And speaking of Booker, all right, I got a little beef with Booker here. He put up his normal numbers, 26 points. But when he didn't get that call at the end on Westbrook, when the ball, when when his shot was blocked, he looked at the ref instead of keeping his head in the play. And Westbrook knocked the ball out of bounds off him. He might have been able to catch that ball where, you know, if he was paying attention instead of looking at the ref saying, you know, where's, you know, where's the whistle, but it wasn't called. And Book let it distract him. He's got to be better next time. I mean, this is the playoffs, man. You know, you can't have those kind of mental lapses particularly at the end of the game.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I was shocked. He gave up on that play credit to Russell Westbrook staying in it and, and kind of just being aware uh, of the situation. Once he made that deflection, you know, it seems like a lot of hand to hand contact with pretty much as a 50, 50 call. I mean, I, I was surprised Booker was so outlandish and, and angry that he didn't get that. I mean, those are the type of plays you kind of have to know again, they're 50, 50 calls. Like you might not get it here. If I don't get it, you can need to anticipate what's going to happen next and stay within it. So, Hopefully he'll 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 definitely learn from that situation, but Russell Westbrook definitely got the best of them in game one.
2: By the way, thirty-four ten bench advantage for the Clippers. That's you know, that's just going to be a real as you mentioned, Roth, a big factor in this series. If uh, the Suns cannot they gotta get everything from their starters now. They gotta get somebody's gotta get thirty points there. You figure one of those two, Booker or KD will get it, but they're going to have to just outscore him. You know, Chris Paul had a a decent game for Chris Paul. You know, uh, almost three points away from a triple double. I mean, you get the rebounds, you get the assists, and you can't get the the scoring. But you know, he's uh, as good as you know as he can be at this stage. It really falls on those two stars. You know, you got Kevin Durant for a reason. Twenty seven points is great. Ten of ten from the. Free throw line, he's doing, he's making the contact and getting the calls. You're going to have to get about 35. You may have to get a 40 point game from him if you're not going to get the production from the bench. And he's capable. They're all, he, a bunch of these guys are capable.
0: Yeah. And the cause of concern right now for Phoenix, of course, is, you know, we've talked about it a little bit too is, you know, they got these older guys. The, their biggest risk is one of these guys falling due to injury. And with how hard they have to ride these starters you really can't afford to lose these close games, especially game one at home. I mean, this 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 loss could really come back to bite them if this series goes six or seven based on allowing the Clippers to establish some confidence, know that they can beat this team. And as those miles, as those minutes start to take its toll on Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, even Devin Booker at this point has got a lot of miles on him this year having to step up so much with nobody else out there to help him produce some points. I mean... That kind
2: of worries me if I'm a Suns fan. And by the way, another thing about it, the Suns lost to a Clipper team that shot t- 10 of 31 from three-point range, a great shooting team this year. And if you take away Kawhi and Russell uh, – or Eric Gordon, I'm sorry, the rest of the team went four for 19 on threes, and you lost to that team. And they're a yeah. great shooting team. So you know, as we talked about, well, you can't be – how can Miami you know, keep up their great offense? Well, you're yeah. going to probably get better offense – from the Clippers going forward from these guys because they've had two good a season shooting the ball. And now, now you gotta, you're one in the hole at home. Yeah. Yep.
1: And, and just real quickly, Russ, I know you're about to send us to the halftime break. Uh, the early game on Monday night is over. Philadelphia beat the Nets, 96, 84, 20 points, 19 rebounds for Joel Embiid, only 11 field goal attempts, but, uh, uh, Tyrese Maxey with a monster game. So it's 2 nothing uh, Sixers, and that one's kind of going the way we thought it would go.
0: Yep. And with that, we've reached our halftime buzzer. So we'll take a quick break and come back with you for the second half.
1: So you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything.
0: All right, we are back with our third quarter, and I want to discuss what might just be the best first-round series of all time, at least one I've seen. The only one that comes to mind for me personally is the We Believe Warriors led by Baron Davis over the Dallas Mavericks in the 2007 playoffs. But let's talk Warriors versus Kings. Bruce, we'll start with you.
1: Well, as expected, game one on Saturday more than lived up to expectations. I mean, so many great storylines. I mean, two great arenas, crazy fans, explosive scores everywhere, big personalities, great showmen. And as you said, this has the potential to go down in the books as one of the great playoff series of all time. Would it surprise anyone if this turns out to be the best series or the series that we remember the most <laughs> from this postseason? I think it's got that potential. For sure. Will be. Oh, it lived
2: up, you know, it's it was like a great, you know, heavyweight fight that you're all the hype and all the build up or whatever, and then you get to it and it lives up to it. Those those things don't happen all the time. Now we're one game in, so maybe we just, you know, put pump the brakes a little bit, but they're two great teams. And Golden State gave them everything they had, right down to the very end. You 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 know, it went exactly the way you thought it you hoped it would. With these teams and in the fourth quarter, it was, you know, Darren Fox doing what Darren Fox does. And that's, uh, that was what, you know, makes him such a great player and going forward. It's why he he's a difference maker.
0: And the the thing that really stood out to me here and and really what shocked me because I thought I was one of the major advantages for the Sacramento Kings coming into this series is the fact that DeMontis Sabonis struggled He was 5 of 17 from the field. He did have 16 rebounds, so he dominated that area. But, I mean, that's got to be a cause of concern for the Warriors. Now, granted, I think all these games are going to be close, which is why I think it's going to be one of the best series of all time. But the fact that DeMontis Sabonis did not play even close to a B-grade game offensively, and and the the, the Sacramento uh, Kings were victorious in this one, I mean – that's something I'm looking forward to, to seeing what happens here later on tonight. You know, While we're taping, this game will be tipped off. You know, How does Sabonis come out in this game? Does he bounce back? And does that play a huge difference on the Kings' chances moving forward? Because I don't think you can always expect, as we know, Malik Monk to play out of his mind. We know he's fully capable of playing out of his mind. But Malik Monk, man, off that bench, 32 points in 28 minutes, just a human microwave. 14 of 14 from the free throw line. An exceptional game and one that, you know, when Monk dazzles, I don't think there's an NBA fan out there that doesn't enjoy it. And he seems to be really cherishing this moment. It's really great to see a guy that's really kind of just been on some bad teams throughout the course of his career get a chance to really be in a moment like this. and, And he looks up for the challenge and look to be enjoying every bit of it in that first game on Saturday night.
1: I think Malik Monk is going to get a pretty healthy dose of Andrew Wiggins guarding him in game number two. I mean, Wiggins had four block shots in the first game and in his first game back after, you know, being out so long. And his fourth and final block was actually on Malik Monk with a minute 19 left in the game. Had Monk made that shot, SAC would have had a four-point lead. Instead, it, it stayed at two. Um But one of the guys that I really want to give a little love to—I mean, we all know about De'Aaron Fox and Monk—they combined for seventy whatever. Trey Lyles had a huge game for those guys. Yes, he did. I mean, sixteen and six in eighteen minutes. You know, I don't know if he can have more games like that. When he was four for six from downtown, six of eight overall, Uh, and he's a guy who's really kind of—you know—when he came out of Kentucky, we thought he was going to be really good. He kind of kicked around. He's in Utah. He was somewhere else. He's in SAC. He really seems like, you know, he's, you know, Mike Brown has kind of cracked the code on that guy and, and gotten him That's to true. to do his thing. And so I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't expect that from him every night, but now he's shown that he can do it. So he's going to have to be um, guarded a little bit, but you know, it's funny. Uh, as you said, as we're recording the show, the game's about to get underway and, you know, we know the dubs have been poor on the road this year, but as I mentioned a moment ago, Wiggins is back. Okay. Yep. The Warriors came close on Saturday and while the dubs, you know, have been crap on the road uh, now they have a, at least a physically rested Wiggins. I'm not sure if he's emotionally rested considering that he had a, you know, absence because of family stuff, but um let's not forget, because we're contractually obligated to say this in every show, the Warriors have won a road game in every playoff series since 2015 Game two might be the one, okay? Uh, again, Malik Monk probably isn't going to have that game again. Trey Lyles may not have that game again. Sabonis should be better, so he's going to offset that. But uh, I said last week that if the Dubs leave SAC tied 1-1, they're going to win the series. And even if SAC goes ahead 2-0, if it gets to seven, I I like the Warriors. And so, yeah, this this I think this will be seven.
2: One thing to watch on this series going forward. We talked, you know, I mentioned I've I've been on them for for months now. The Warriors, their defense on the road and stuff. The Kings really have a plan in place, and they're trying to get uh De'Aaron Foss to their pick and roll, they're trying to get a big guy switched on him as much as possible because he took a big time advantage on Draymond Green and Kevon Looney when when they got switched out on him. I think he was four or five shooting when green was on him on the switch. And then I think it was like three of six when uh, Looney was switched out on him. They ran the pick and roll. I think during the regular season, they ran it about 14 or 15 times a game, the pick and roll with the ball handler. They ran it 28 times in game one for 35 points. They really had wow. a plan in place. That might be just as Bruce mentioned before, Mike Brown, knowing the warriors and knowing how to beat them, but that was a really big deal. And Malik Monk, he got all the free throws and stuff. He made what 14 to 14. It was impressive, yeah, something man. like that. But his draws, he was 6 to 7 when he drove the ball to the basket. So they couldn't the, – you know, the Warriors couldn't stop him defensively from getting to the basket. I, maybe you don't expect that much from Malik Monk again. But still, if the Warriors can't play the defense, I know they put up the points. And they're going to play like champions. They're, they have the heart of the champion. They had the pedigree like nobody else in, the, in this era – right now when it comes to being able to play in big moments, but until they can figure out a defensive, you know, something to uh, adjustment defensively, I don't see how they can win the series.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely going to be a tough challenge playing this uh, Sacramento group And, and Golden State has that experience. Another guy that played pretty well. He only played 19 minutes, but he did start in place of Andrew Wiggins that I wanted to talk about Dante DiVincenzo. You know, we talk about this Warriors group having championship experience. Dante DiVincenzo actually won a championship with the Milwaukee Bucks two years ago. Uh, And he's also well familiar with Sacramento and and their personnel having been a Sacramento Kings player uh, before coming over to Golden State. So continue to keep an eye on him. I I surely expect Andrew Wiggins to get back into that starting lineup once this series shifts back to uh, Golden State and uh Also think Wiggins will shoot a lot better than one from eight from three. And he did have that chance to hit that big-time three down the stretch in the final seconds there. I think that's one that will definitely go down at home with the home crowd behind him. So lots of fun to be had in that series. And um,
1: speaking of fun, we will be – Hey, Ross, just one one real quick note because I thought statistically this was kind of interesting. Both coaches used nine players in that game, okay, and their benches were incredibly productive. The, the Warriors' reserves had 50 points and the Kings' reserves had 55. That's pretty unusual for a playoff game. So I just uh, uh, note the chess game between the coaches and how they're going to utilize more of their players than is normal, let's say, in the playoffs.
0: Great point there, Bruce. Yep, we'll definitely have to keep an eye on that here in game two. Well, speaking of fun, let's get to our fourth quarter here. And I guess uh, some would say I'm saving the best for last, at least in World B's mind. I would. The Knicks take game one in Cleveland versus the Cavs. And uh, World B, outside of the fact that you're smiling right now, tell us a little bit more about the game.
2: Knicks uh, in three. That's what. That's my motto there. That's how we're, that's how we're talking here. Uh, a really great game. They uh, They came out punching. You know, during this run that they've had since Josh Hart got there, not that he necessarily has anything to do with this because he comes off the bench more, most nights, their run has really been in that first quarter. They've done a great job at the end of the regular season when they had this run at the end of getting out big time scoring in the first quarter, and they did again uh, with 30 points in the opening quarter against the Cavs, uh, really really took it to them. Now, they, the Cavs are such a great defensive team, that you, they weren't going to get that many more the rest of the night, and that's true. They only scored what seventy-one more the rest of the night, uh, but they they came up with big shots when you need it. Uh, Jalen Brunson was a big-time performer, just like Knicks fans had hoped. Julius Randle looked like a big-time uh, shot maker, even though he you know playing hurt and only shot three of ten from the field, but still nineteen points and ten boards is a big deal for him. Josh Hart off the bench with 17 and a huge three at the end and his defense. And you know, RJ Barrett doing you know what RJ Barrett does. Two for 12 and one for five from the three point range. Way to go. <laughs> yeah. And they win anyway. He's he's the mini Russell
1: Westbrook of his time, I guess. Yeah, but you know, I know you love to bash RJ. He did lead the team with six assists. So yes, you gotta he give did. him that. Uh, so listen uh, and four steals. How gritty were the Knicks. I've always given them credit for most of the season for being a really gritty team. Well, here are some numbers to back that up, okay? They shot 42% as a team. They shot under 28% on threes, but they out-rebounded the Cavaliers 51-38, and they were plus six in offensive rebounds. They grabbed two offensive rebounds in the final 38 seconds. They have grit, they have hustle, And the Cavaliers have yet to show that they can match that. Um, And you mentioned Josh Hart. He had five offensive rebounds in that game. You know, he had the three-pointer that put them ahead for good, 95-93 with a minute 49 left. He is grit and hustle personified for this team. He's, you know, that's probably, you know, I guess you could say Durant and Josh Hart were probably the two best midseason acquisitions by any teams in the NBA. And Bruce, I got a follow-up for you here. I mean, you've obviously
0: claimed him here on the podcast this year. He's not a Celtic, but Darius Garland, I mean, what was your takeaway from his game? I mean, the guy had one assist, 17 points, really seemed like the Knicks defense got him out of
1: his game. Are you worried about him in game two? Well, I'm worried about all of their young guys. I thought Darius Garland did have a subpar game. But this was the Cavaliers' first playoff game as a franchise since 2018, and they're going to need better poise from all of their young guys moving forward. You know that Donovan Mitchell's a bucket, and he's going to pencil him in for 30 points pretty much every night. But Evan Mobley, Isaac Okoro, they're going to need to be much better than a combined five of 19 from the floor. And Darius Garland definitely is going to have to bring it bring some heat in game two, because if they go down zero two to the Knicks, you can pretty much put a fork in them. They're not going to win four out of five against the Knicks. If they lose the first two.
2: Only 59 points from Cavaliers, not named Donovan Mitchell. That's just, he can't win. You can't win in the regular season doing that. And you're certainly not going to win in the playoffs. Uh, I know the game slows down. That's a definite benefit for uh, Cleveland, but it's a benefit for the Knicks. Like you said, they, they got guys who will tough it out, um, and that makes them a you know from a Knicks fan perspective, somebody you know a team worth being getting behind. You, Josh Hart, Jalen Brunson's tough, you know Julius Randle's tough playing playing the way he is. you know Quentin Grimes is a tough player. They they have toughness, and as Bruce said, all around. So yeah, you know, the the Cavs have to. This is four out of five now. They've lost to. New York this season, including the regular season, so they got to figure something out quick. And you're absolutely right; they got to get something besides uh, from somebody else besides Donovan Mitchell. You just can't. Donovan's getting 38. You know, we we talked about before the series; he had a 42 point game, he had another 32, 38 point game, whatever. But they lost those games because you 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 have to get something from somebody else, and it's really inexcusable. As much as I like the Knicks. For a Cleveland team as good as they are defensively, to get out rebounded at home by 13—that just with those two bigs—that can't happen. And, and one there was quick plenty question. of opportunities because the Knicks did not exactly, as Bruce mentioned, shoot the lights out. So they there were chances for the ball to be there to be grabbed.
0: And, and you talk about those chances for rebounds to be had out there with the Knicks out rebounding in Cleveland. Quick yes or no question I want to ask you guys. Could the Cleveland Cavaliers have benefited from having Kevin Love on their roster in game one? Yes or no, Bruce? Based on how he played
1: for Miami, I would say yes.
2: <laughs> be Well, let's see. The bench got outscored 37 to 14. Uh, I believe that's right. So, yeah, I'm going to say he, he could have benefited. But you know what? I'm not going to criticize Cleveland for this move just because – They gave him every chance during the season. He just wasn't productive. That's true, and he couldn't shoot. Now, if you can't shoot, if you're Kevin Love and you can't shoot, and you're a defensive liability at your age, there's really not a whole lot left for you to do on the court. He had a great game one for Miami, and they're going to need that going forward more. And if he can do it, if he can, you know, dust out the the old Kevin Love, absolutely terrific, and you know that's going to give Miami a great shot. But he wasn't really doing it in Cleveland, so. I, I get the point. The version we saw the other night, yes, absolutely helps Cleveland. But the version that Cleveland had wasn't going to help them much in this game.
1: Just want to uh, say one more quick thing before, Russ. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Uh, Jalen Brunson, who is really the guy who has, you know, keyed their offense this year and has carved up defenses, penetrated, dished, whatever – he was a scorer in game one. He had 24, but he only had two assists. Okay. Uh, so I'm expecting him to be a little bit, you know, I mean, he'll still get his 20, I believe, but I I'd like to see him distribute a little bit better. And also uh, kudos to Julius Randall coming back off that injury, 19 and 10 played, you know, significant minutes. And he was, he grabbed one of those two late offensive rebounds that sealed yes, the game did. for those guys. Yep. So, yep. um, you know, good signs for the Knicks. I mean, all all signs are pointing north for the Knicks right now.
0: Absolutely. And that had to be the most physical first uh, game of the first round that we've seen thus far. So expect to see more of that moving forward between these two gritty teams. And with that, let's go ahead and get into the best bets section. Tonight I want to share a winner I had in game one, and that is a Clippers-Suns same-game parlay. And if I can get it again – I'll do it again. And here it is. It's seven legs plus 105. Kawhi Leonard, 20 points. Kevin Durant, 20 points. Norman Powell, 12 points. Plumlee, two points. Terrence Mann, two points. Zubak, five rebounds. Plumlee, two rebounds. Double up your money, folks. That was an easy money win in game one. And I expect to see it again in game two. So jot it down good good luck.
2: Before we get to our final thought, but I wanted to mention before, isn't it great to see how all these guys who were former Hornets once they get away from Charlotte <laughs> are suddenly reborn? Malik Monk, Mason Plumley, even Nick Batum starting. Uh, you know, he didn't have much of a night, but he's a starter on the Clippers. It's, like, I, it's on your resume. You used to be a Hornet. Now I'm good. That's how. Yeah. That's how it works. That's the internship.
0: That's the internship. I Charlotte. guess so. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And with that, let's close things out here with our final thought. And Bruce, I'll start with you.
1: You know, good health is always an issue in ter- for teams in the postseason. Rotations get shorter, except for Golden State at Sacramento, and coaches need all hands on deck. On the first weekend of the playoffs, the carnage was troubling. Giannis Antetokounmpo of the Bucks fell hard on his tailbone late in the first quarter, tried to play through it, but eventually left the game for good early in the second. It all went downhill from there because just before halftime, Miami's Tyler Hero broke the middle and ring finger on his shooting hand, diving for a loose ball, and he's likely going to miss four to six weeks, which means unless the Heat make it to the finals, we won't be seeing him again in the postseason. And although the Heat took game one, Giannis is expected back. His MRI came back clean on, on Monday. But now the Bucks have a much tougher, tougher job with Miami grabbing home court. In the Lakers-Grizz series, John Moran injured his right hand while breaking his fall, and although x-rays were negative, he left the game and didn't return. He said he's in a lot of pain, and I could easily see him missing game two. Earlier in that game, Anthony Davis appeared to hurt his right arm. He was limping off the court holding his right arm, and Laker Nation always holds its collective breath when AD appears to be hurt, and he gets hurt. But he did return and played well. But when three of the top ten players in the league, Giannis, Ja, and AD – plus a 20-point score like Hero or Hurt on the first weekend of the postseason, the entire vibe of the playoff changes. Let's hope there are no more days like Bloody Sunday for the rest of the postseason. Well said there,
2: Bruce. will be? Even on a night when his team pulled out a somewhat surprising victory on the road over the in game one of their first-round series, even when he made the defensive play of the night, to make everyone forget another horrific shooting effort, Russell Westbrook could not handle the criticism that comes of being one of the league's ridiculously poor shooters. At halftime, the Clippers game on Sunday, as Westbrook was heading to the locker room following an all-too-familiar 5-point, 2-for-9 shooting effort, <laughs> the former MVP had something to say to a fan that was sitting in a VIP lounge section under the stands, and it wasn't exactly, Hello, how are you? <laughs> What the fans said to get Russ all riled up is still unclear, although some reports have stated that the phrase Westbrook may have been used, which led Westbrook to respond by stopping and telling the fan to watch your mouth, followed by a word not worth repeating. If it turns out that the fan in question had something vulgar vulgar, or something profane to say at Westbrook as he was passing by, then all bets are off. And Westbrook is more within his rights to fire back at the fan, who, according to the video, you see appears to be you know sitting on the couch or whatever. And there was no physical confrontation, you know, to be um, to be upfront about. So it did, or it didn't appear on the video to be any sort of physical confrontation. But if the fan simply made a Westbrook comment, followed by something razzing of a razzing nature. Then shame on Westbrook for even acknowledging such a silly behavior by his own silliness himself. More and more, the reaction of players who are feeling slighted or disrespected is showing itself, and it's not in a good way. It doesn't matter if it's stopping to MF a fan on his way to a locker room or getting in silly social media spats, I'm talking to you, Kevin Durant, or a consistent whining of fouls for fouls from referees, which I'm talking to every other player in the league. As I've said before, the players have more power than ever in this league, it appears. But at some point, this return fire behavior will start having an impact on who goes to the games and who watches them.
0: Well said, there will be. And I do want to add here, Russell Wexbrook did decide to go ahead and take a shortcut. That was yeah. a shortcut to the locker room through the fan VIP area. And he did not go through the proper tunnel to where, you know, he could avoid all fans. So if you're going to take a shortcut and you're going to go past Phoenix Suns fans in game one, you can surely expect to hear some things after your first half performance. So,
2: As everybody does too, right? I mean, that's yeah. kind of the the way I read it. Everybody goes through there now. You're not supposed to, but everybody does it. And like I said, if the, if the guy, the fan had something really – Awful to say, as I mentioned, something vulgar or profane. Sure. Yeah, Westbrook can sit there and BS him all he wants and stuff and have every right to. You don't have to deal with that. But if it was simply because I'm I'm ticked off about my performance and somebody called me Westbrook,
1: get over it. Yeah. You know what I thought was really funny about that whole thing? He's he's admonishing this fan to watch their mouth and then he calls him a mother. F- yeah. <laughs> it's like right. That's about You know, on the the short list of, like, really bad cuss words, MF is, you know, probably in the top three or four, and he's telling someone to watch their mouth. Self-awareness, not his strength. Yep. And as for my final thought, I want to share my favorite NBA
0: playoff quote, and I believe I've heard Bruce refer to this one before, but I think it's important to keep in mind throughout the playoffs each and every year. Pat Riley once said, a playoff series does not start until the home team loses. I love it because it's so simple, and it's definitely true in my book. And if we just examine, as we just examined, there have been quite a few first-round matchups this year where the series has already started, which yet again adds to a new level of intensity and importance to the following games to come. For the Bucks, Cavs, Grizzlies, and Suns, Game two is absolutely a must win as lower seeds already hold a leg up knowing they can win the series if they just handle their business on their own home floor. So moving forward into this year's playoffs, keep Coach Riley's perspective in mind following the action. And with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on belief. Thanks for tuning in and we'll be back with you on Friday to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association.